Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, people, you know that sound, the Unfiltered Bammies. Yes, another episode of Unfiltered, another top 10 Met-centric episode. Officially, this will be episode number 168 of Unfiltered, the top 10 prospect busts for the Metropolitans. And, oh, boy, that's 10 of 7,312 before we lost count. And the we, myself and Brian Wright, who's back to join me. Of course, Mets a story. You can jump on board with him on Twitter and follow him on social at Brian Wright 86. Uh, we have talked about the good, the bad, and this would be the ugly because there's nothing uglier in Mets lore if you're a Met fan, Brian Wright, than the expectations that we have dealt with, not just in seasons, which we've discussed on this show, but specifically with the next great thing that was going to save the Mets, the Steve Cohen of the player version, and how many of these we've had. And we get to go through 10 that didn't become otherworldly like they were supposed to for the Mets uh, here today. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Casey. I uh, hope you're doing well also. Uh, yeah, I um, I think I, I read these names and I just think of what, you know, a lot of what could have been. I remember some of these players just getting really excited as other people did. Um, and yeah, I mean... You thought a lot of these were, were saviors, like you thought were saviors. And as is the case with a lot of different teams, I think we just we are hyper focused on the Mets for obvious reasons. Um, as is the case with a lot of teams, you just there are these players um, that just don't work out. It happens, you know, when it comes to like transition from high school to college and college to the pros. Um, and you know, some of these are due to just not performing up to expectations. Some of these are due to injuries and that could be unfair to call them busts. Like as a, as like a Penn state fan and a guy who grew up watching Kajana Carter. Uh, I never liked to nice see when pull, by the way, Kajana Carter in the long line of Penn state running backs that failed. They had a couple that were good, yes. but they did have Blair Thomas. If you're a jet fan who's Blair, watching and needs another yes. reason to go to therapy, there's, there's one for you. Blair, Curtis Enos is another one. Yeah. Oh, uh, Curtis Enos. I forgot about him. Right, I get courteous. So, Larry Johnson I, was a Penn I, State the guy, though, right? Was Larry Johnson was, Penn State? He yeah, was, okay, yeah, he was. He was. He was. 2,000 yards, 2002. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're getting into, into Penn That's State right. football here. That's um, all right. I'm a coach. No, no. When I think of Kajana Carter, I always hear, like, oh, he was a bust. Well, he got hurt, like, instantly. He was number one pick to the Bengals, and then, you know, just as as is the was the case of the curse of the Bengals in the 1990s, nothing worked out. But I, I always hate to hear him called a bust, but at the same time, that's just the nature of 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 what we how we judge. It's just it's unfair, but but unfortunately, injuries do play a uh, factor in whether it's you know uh, someone's a bust or not. Unfortunately, well, luckily for the Jets, they ended up with Curtis Martin eventually and Corey Dillon on the yeah. uh, Bengals side. There's your NFL focus uh, portion of the program. Uh, we always <laughs> focus on the Mets, but I want to get into a couple of other things that are sort of Met centric at the front of this. But before we do that. Because we, of course, are prioritizing. Bet online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. Everything from the pros and college on the basketball side, UFC, MMA, and more. Latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. They've got live betting options, free contests, live scores, any sport, any game imaginable. Bet Online truly, really is the fastest and easiest way. Bet all your favorite leagues and events. Simple. Head over to the website today or use your mobile device. Then when you join, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit if. Use this promo code. It's BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V. Again, your promo code is BELIEVE for the 50% bonus. To receive your rewards, get over to betonline.ag where the game starts. I, I want to get started here, and, and let's first touch on DeGrom because then I don't have to do anything separate just discussing this for five minutes. So let's just get it out of the way here. A lot of the names we're going to discuss today on this list, which DeGrom would not be on, clearly. But gave gave me PTSD even thinking about discussing them with you. Like legitimately, I need to call a therapist this afternoon just to cleanse whatever we're about to talk about. How much did you feel an instinct of that when you saw the Degrom tightness in the left side pop up, literally four minutes into showing up at spring training and having everybody be thankful that he's there to save the franchise along with Bruce Bochy? Did it take you a second or two to realize? Wait a minute. That's my ex. I don't have to worry about them anymore. And that was that was what I that was my reaction when I saw when I was scrolling, you know, my once a day scroll through Twitter and just saw Jacob Dragon belt tightness in some headline and was like, oh no. And then I was like, oh wait, it's not our problem anymore. It's someone else's problem. 
And who knows what this will lead to, but we've all been there before. Yeah, I, look, I'll give my uh, my old buddy uh, Corey Schwartz over at MLB.com, who I did Fantasy 411 with over there, and it's a big part of uh, all their game day coverage for years that they've created, which they did such a great job with that at bat. But he used to say, uh, YPNM, your problem, not mine. And that certainly mm-hmm. is now the DeGrom case. Uh, so we'll leave that there for now. Meanwhile, spring training, I, I want to just hit that just for a second, because pitchers and catchers, I, I said this on Twitter earlier today, and I mean this, and I had the pleasure of being able to cover basketball and it's a sport I love. I love hockey. I love football. But nobody cares about the first morning skate when the hockey season is not commencing yet. Nobody cares about the first time they show up in pads, right? Unless you're related to it or you're one of the players. Certainly, it's a big deal. I get it. Or if you're covering it, maybe. Not as a fan. You don't feel that. You don't feel the first shoot around. But when I say pitchers and catchers to you, the romantic and how can you not be romantic about baseball? It just hits different. It, everything about it. Seeing the guys in the cages, watching a video. I must have watched five times, 28 seconds of Verlander and Scherzer muted. You can't hear a word they're saying. Just whispering to each other as they walked in. And I just wanted to see Verlander in, not even in Met colors yet, walking into a Mets facility in Port St. Lucie. How many of those vibes you feel every time we get around to pitchers and catchers, especially with the ability now in social, Brian, for us to get a mm-hmm. sense of where we are in the country to feel that across the sport? Yeah, I think it's it's a real uh, – there's a lot of reasons why it's a special feeling. I mean, especially if you're a baseball fan. I think if you weren't a baseball fan, this wouldn't really mean anything to you. But, like, if, when you see the players, you know, walking in the warmth while you're, you know, for most people, like, I'm in L.A., so it's, you know, it's like it's 50. So oh, it's God, really you're cold. I don't even want to hear it, please. Yeah, yeah. so, but if you're in, like, New York or when I used to live in D.C., it's, you know, 30, 20 degrees, if that, and, and you see players – uh, walking, you know, in their t-shirt and shorts and, and they're about to play, you know, the game that will be lasting in the spring and the summer, they're out there throwing, uh, throwing and hitting the sounds of baseball, the pitcher, you know, the hitting the catcher's glove, the ball hitting the bat, those kind of sounds of the, it's aesthetically pleasing, um, to hear and see the players, you know, doing something that we're going to be watching. You know, I, I, I like football. I, I like basketball a little more. I love baseball. And, and I think what, what creates that love and bond with a baseball team is the, how long you are with them uh, because it really is a year long affiliation, especially if you love a baseball team uh, from, from like the hot stove to spring training through the six months of the regular season. And if you're lucky, the postseason. So um that kind of that kind of connection is so much stronger, I think, than any other sport, and I think that's why this kind of event, pitchers and catchers reporting, uh, or just spring training getting underway, is so special. And, and look, it's an investment. It's an investment of time. It's an investment in emotion, and a lot of times in money. And because of that, we then, especially when we are suffering, we hang our hats on whatever the next thing is going to be. And a lot of times it doesn't work out. Now, look, just because it's your recency bias, it's happening now in a season since baseball ended. I'm a Knicks fan, diehard. Watching Jalen Brunson, who seemed to be, you know, a nice player who was really overpaid, be unbelievable for them has been a crazy surprise. I mean, he's been, are you a Knicks fan mm-hmm. also? He's been amazing. I am. And I I'm am. watching him every yeah. game and I'm like, this guy is, he's the best point guard they had since Mark Jackson. It was like a million years ago, right? This is amazing to watch. No offense, Charlie Ward who was the best quarterback in New York when the Jets and Giants were so bad and he was at the point guard of the Knicks. Um, But it's amazing to watch. But the the reason I bring that up is the juxtaposition of it is, is that we didn't expect that much. We thought maybe he was overpaid. The expectations were lower and he's been way better. I think even Julius Randle in the same way, even though they're not prospects and I get their signings, it's the hubbub that surrounds the players we're about to bring up. That makes yeah. it and the expectations and the investment in your belief and faith in what they're going to bring to you, that brings you the disaster. So without further ado, let's talk disaster-ish, because at number 10 in our prospects bus, I'm going to have, you're not going to be the only one, I think, pushing back. I mean, a lot of people are going to get on me. I I admit, pulling back uh, the fourth wall, if you will, I wanted Matt Harvey added to the list, and we have him at number 10. And I want to just explain why before, and I know you're going to tell me all the good things he did for them. And, and he did certainly did. I mean, look, it, whether it's Terry Collins should have left him in the game longer, or he didn't. I never have forgotten, and I was there covering it, how well he pitched in that effort. 
I've never forgotten the Harvey's better games against Strasbourg or any of that stuff in between. However, I also didn't forget about the dark night not getting the Batmobile to the park in time because he's out at Ranger games or Dayton or sleeping with or doing whatever he's doing with models because he seemed to care more about what was going on off the field. I haven't forgotten about the fact that depending upon who you believe, either his work ethic wasn't good enough and it was creating injuries, or he wasn't rehabbing hard enough to get back from injuries. And either way you slice it, you never heard Matt Harvey, first one there, last one to leave, like you heard from David Wright. Now, every player doesn't have to be that way, but that was never his MO. I haven't forgotten that, unfortunately or not, and we're going to get to a separate group of pitchers later on this list, I looked at Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard, and Matt Harvey, and that group, and we looked at them as a group. And Matt Harvey was the guy through really most of that at the beginning. Everybody had their hat on. The Grom was a nice story. He used to be a shortstop at Stetson. We love Thor's hair. And I know he came over in a trade. But Matt Harvey, our guy. Matt Harvey's the dude. This is the dark knight. This guy had a bloody nose right on the screen. That one shot that you remember, the camera, he's going to be the guy. And I can't forget that even Syndergaard continued to sort of move forward. And he did have injury issues. And DeGrom went all the way up here. And Matt Harvey, seemingly because of things under his control, Brian, went the other way. That's why, yeah, to I, me, I compare. The last thing I would say, that's why I compare. He's not as big a bust as some of the other guys here. Some did nothing. But he could have and should have been so great. And to me, this is not something that was out of his control. I believe things that were under Matt Harvey's control and his lack of really, to me, that, that want, that Mamba mentality to go back to basketball, if you will, and what DeGrom had as a quiet assassin – with everything that he did, even though he gets injured all the time, we never question any of that with Jake. To me, that's why, to me, he's a number 10 bust and belongs in the list. Yeah, I mean, I, I I totally understand it. I, you know, I think I think when we initially did the list, it was like, hey, uh, you know, I think overhyped prospects. And then when we when we turned into like the, the prospect bucks, bust in which Matt Harvey is, is you know, more, uh, I would say, uh, worthy is the right word. Um but I, when I think of Matt Harvey, I think of I, – I always wonder, and, I, you know, it's hard to get in his head um, as far as, like, what led to what. But to me, the Tommy John surgery that happened, uh, I guess it, it came in, like, in, in his first full season, uh, that injury at the end of that season, uh, missing all of 2014, coming back for that, you know, comeback player of the year season in 2015, which culminated in the World Series. Uh, and then, to me, like, the thoracic outlet – uh, surgery that to me just kind of put everything to a tailspin. Now, I, and I don't know if that never happens. Do does all the other self-inflicted wounds? Do those happen? I don't know. Um, does he? You know? Does he have the confidence to still be uh, a good pitcher and to show up to the to the games on time? I have no idea. So it's so I kind of look at it as just. It just things just kind of spiraled, uh, it, and it's just a multitude of 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 situ of things that were both in his control and out of his control, and it's hard to pinpoint what led to um, what led to what. So I I see it as as just kind of you know, so you know, disapp it's disappointing. Would you put it as is that kind of? I don't yeah. want to make it simplified, but because it, it, I, I know yeah. it's such a simplistic yeah. term. But is that disappointing tenure? I was gonna say it was a sad situation in yeah, terms sure, of just a sure. baseball, yeah. but it, it's trust me, it's a trap. It's it's. I guess it is. Yeah, no, I got you. He's had off field issues. Yeah. But, um, in terms of just the Mets, it, it just it 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 could have been so much more. And yes, you know, he did put a lot on the line. I mean, remember the innings limit that could have yep. happened in twenty fifteen yep. that he Scott just Moore said no situation, of course. Yep. And yep. I think that is something to me to me that's commendable in a sense. Um, that he wanted to be out there. He wanted to be out there in game five. He said, you know, Terry Collins, no, I'm, I'm going back out there for, for the ninth inning. And, you know, Terry Collins should have taken him out after the first hitter, not the second hitter, but that's another story. Um, so I look at it a little differently as, as, yeah, he didn't fulfill expectations and didn't fulfill the promise that he really set in 2013. But at least there was a time that you saw that potential fulfilled. It just didn't last as long as we would have would have wished and social media can change a lot of things because the guy we have at one who is the first name i brought up to you when we said we were going to do this list he's the first guy to me that i think if you said there's no list and just ask met fans who's the guy that comes to mind depending upon age if you're old enough this would be the guy who's belongs at one 
if there was social media, the one we have at one would have had the same hype that Matt Harvey had and did far less as a Met. He did it in his mm -hmm. career, just not with them. And mm -hmm. Matt Harvey, at least, does not have anything. He went beyond and then went to this franchise. And he's on the Orioles. And you know, it almost became sad watching him as like, you know, some kind of version of himself. The whole thing that happened, whether at forefront on the mound or behind the scenes with the, the Angels, all that. Um, he is going to pitch in the World Baseball Classic, I, from what I saw. So mm -hmm. we'll see. I mean, you kind of root for him. Uh, I will say one thing, last thing on Harvey quickly. Um, I, I kind of got a little bit emotional with the way that, that the fans, I thought it was really cool for him because he was very humbled. When he came back and pitched at City Field, he was a really humbled guy who mm -hmm. had been humbled. And I think realized all the things that had gone wrong that he created, that was kind of a cool moment that, that he got predominantly treated extremely well. And that's a rare thing. Look, I watched Jose Reyes get booed when he forget all the stuff off the field that happened. I'm just Jose Reyes, the player was a, mm -hmm. a dynamic player for the Mets and now is beloved again. But when he left and signed that deal with the Marlins, even though the Mets never even offered him a contract, he got booed royally because he got took a hundred million dollars. It was like he left for the money. I thought it was pretty cool, didn't you? The way that Matt Harvey in in kind of a, you know, everybody realized how humanized he was in that moment, responded when he came back to City Field. I did I did like it. Yeah, and I think I, I love that that he was cheered and and, and I think he, he should be supported. Um and I and I root for him um to this day. And and I think in just like really everything that's really that's come out, he's been humbled and he's been honest. Um so I I do think he's he's learned a lot. So, and I think in that moment he he had kind of had that realization that he had learned a lot, and, and as you said, had been humbled. So, uh, it was a cool moment to see that City Field was cheering for him, and they and they still are. Matt Harvey, number ten on the list, get to number nine. Center field is not a position in which you have a lot of players in the Mets franchise history that have performed very well, either defensively, offensively, or both. We had a stretch where it seemed like every year in the 90s, uh, we were seeing a different center fielder, certainly go to late 90s, early 2000s. Brian McCray, BMAC, my former broadcast partner, who I love. Uh, Matt Lawton, who was in there. We had the great uh, season from Lance Johnson, one of the great offensive seasons the Mets have ever had. And, you know, even Timo Perez, uh, despite the base running blunders, or at least until then, we thought he was the second coming. But when Ryan Thompson at number nine was first the becoming of what Ryan Thompson was going to be. And I want to give you, because this is why I, I know you're going to bring the actual statistics to back up what is going to be this simplified idiot thing that I'm going to tell you that, because I want to give you just my, the fan in me at the time, not covering the team then. What I remember, I remember looking at Ryan Thompson and being like, you know, I used to say like Aaron Rodgers, if you're watching him, he's like everything a quarterback should look, should look like. The way he moves out of the pocket, the way he throws, the way – like everything – it's like a weird science movie, like built of a quarterback. Ryan Thompson was athletic. He was strong. He was big. He seemed to have tons of power. He could run in the outfield. He seemed to run the base as well, almost like a specimen that you would create to then patrol center field for you. And he turned out to be totally the opposite of all of that. A man who wore number twenty at number nine in Ryan Thompson. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm gonna. I guess I can give you statistics, but I, as, as I was a young fan, I'm. I felt the same as you. I just he had like I just just loved the way he he looked. He was he you know very you know presentable, um, handsome, and he was just like well built as a as a as a baseball player. And you just go, oh, he can you know. He's, I this guy's going to be the face of the uh, franchise. It, he looked like oh, yeah. he's the face of, the, of every calendar the Mets were going to have for the next 10 years. And I think because he came over in the uh, trade with the Blue Jays, I guess he was a Blue yep. Jay prospect yep. uh, in the Jeff Kent trade, yep. David Cohn right. going to the Blue Jays at yep. the, uh, I guess, in August of 92. Um, right. But yeah, I, just, I think he was just the product of a – Face of the franchise at a terrible time, out of a dark year in the fran of, of, in the franchise history, they were probably looking for a guy to be like, "Hey, here we go. Here's this guy. Uh, he's gonna save us in a sense." Was it ninety two? Was it ninety three? What was it ninety two? What, what year was that trade? He was traded. The, the David Cohn trade was in August of ninety two. And I mean, looking at his his numbers as a yeah. Met, he he played 
30 games in 92, yes. um, 80 games in 93. He played the team that you and I both the... think is one of the biggest, as we discussed this on a previous episode, one of the biggest disasters yeah. of all time, the 93 yeah. Mets. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then pretty much all of the strike short in 94 season and, and a oh, good yeah. chunk of 95. Oh, yeah. So, so for those... Dave Gallagher, I mean, these are, these are, these are the Mets you live by Ryan Thompson. And here's the other thing too. It's like, you know, the, they gave him so many chances. Like, that's the other thing I remember about Ryan Thompson was like, oh, no, it's going to happen. Because, like, you kept believing. Like, he'd have one game where it's like he'd make a great catch in the outfield. Like, again, he's a big dude, but but he had, like, those long strides in center field that, that a Beltron eventually would have, right, with an actual center fielder. But that you would look at, like, he could run under balls, as they say. And, again, Shea, Big Park, right, all those things. All I remember is – how how many chances they gave him? What's the total? How many games did he play with the Mets? So you get eighty. He, played, he yeah, he played two hundred eighty three games over four seasons. Hit two thirty nine uh, on base percentage of three hundred. Yeah, yeah. And a OPS of seven seventeen. Oh, yeah. He had thirty nine homers and drove in one hundred twenty six. So oh, hero. Yeah, it, and I and what he probably he was given so many chances because there were so many chances to to give because plus there that no team was so chances terrible. for anyone else. Yeah, it wasn't anybody else, but it, it, and it's funny because, and again, Matt Harvey at 10, Ryan Thompson at 9, and get us your thoughts. Get us at Casey Stern at Brian Wright 86 Let us know if you're listening to Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts, or jumping on the YouTube and comment. I'm curious because I'm sure many of you are going to say the list is wrong, and this is where this guy should go, and that's the great thing about these lists in general. Um, you know, if you grew up and, you know, you're sitting there and that's the first Met team you ever rooted for, you might have Ryan Thompson at, uh, at nine, uh, at number one on your own list. Ironically, one of the other names that I said to you right off the bat, not knowing where we listed eventually, when I think about Met bus, there's different things that come to mind. And number eight comes right off the tip of my tongue all the time for the same reason every single time. I'll go back to a Kaz Matsui episode that we had talking about some of the other failures the Mets have had. And I, I said about Matsui that I remember Bobby Valentine, which is true, saying he reminded him of Ichiro and just how stupid that seemed afterwards. I love Bobby. The amount of people that were putting in articles when Alex Ochoa came over, the amount of people that were putting in, in articles that he was a five-tool player, it was like literally what he was branded to be. He was going to be a guy who could do all – now, five-tool player at that time – was so unbelievably overemphasized. And really, there aren't many players even now who you could fit into that category. Mookie Betts, one who comes to mind immediately, sure, of course. You might have 10 guys who actually fit. It's like using ace because the guy's a number one in a rotation, Brian, on some bad team. That doesn't make him an ace, mm -hmm. right? Alex Ochoa, I think he wore 22. When he came over, I was so excited about that deal because I was like, okay, here's a prospect who there was actually, at that time, there wasn't a lot about prospects like there is now. And people were writing in articles, you knew him, like you had heard of him. He was a guy who came to mind like, oh yeah, I've heard that. And at that point that meant something to you. Like I heard that name before. Mm -hmm. I don't think he had yeah. the key to his toolbox the whole time I ever watched him play. <laughs> and I think that's the, that's, that's like the product of, these prospects being oh, man. hyped up on now, you know, like I think I, I can't, we can't relate. Like you go back to the seventies. I don't think they were like, Oh my gosh, look at these, you know, here no. we rank the top 20. Nobody prospects. Knew. They didn't do that. No. Nobody knew who these guys were. And that's, and it's for better and worse. And I think for like Alex Ochoa, it's like, it's for worse because you hear things, you hear five tool player, you hear, oh. oh my goodness, look what he'll do in right field. And, and you just go, were you, were you watching the right player uh, like or or what and and uh, i always think about and this is you're in pain there um i always think like when players transition i think of this like more like football and basketball players transition from high school to to college that's a big that's obviously a huge jump and i feel like that is where because sometimes like a high you know i would see like in football like high school recruits you know, like, oh my gosh. And you see like in 2013, who the highest high school recruit was. I'm going, I've never heard of that guy. And it just is, it's so drastic of a, of a transition. And I think in baseball, I mean, the transition from the minors to the majors is just, is so drastic that it to some players, it just completely um, just, just, just 
you know, just changes them. They're not the same players when you go into the into the major league level. And maybe Alex Ochoa was wasn't as good as we all thought. And yeah, just, yeah, you know, or as, as good as the um, Orioles thought, certainly, because that's what. Yeah. By the way, they did a great job promoting that. But here's the craziest yes. part about all this, right? And that was the Benia deal, right? Is it Ochoa, right? Yes, yes. So yeah, yep. he, here's and that was the other thing. It was like. You were so happy about Benia being good. It was like, oh, and like it made it even greater. Like he was, he didn't even care who he was. He wasn't Bobby Benia, right? By the way, Damon Buford, yeah. going back to Ryan Thompson, speaking of other center fielders the Mets had, like, and they had like 500 of them. So I just looked up, just, just Alex Ochoa, just literally just going boom. And I, I put Alex Ochoa five tool player into uh, Google. July 3rd, oh. 1996, Joe McElvain says of Ochoa on the day he comes in, here's a five-tool guy. <laughs> Article going back 1995, five-tool prospect Alex Ochoa running up the, the uh, Baltimore Orioles system. And then my favorite, this is on eBay.com. It says it says 8 by 10 of New York Mets five-tool player Alex Ochoa. So, but that became it's unfortunate that kind of became his thing and Label. you couldn't get in the toolbox uh, another great outfielder yeah. Alex Ochoa let's continue with great outfielders we've got Thompson at 9 Alex Ochoa at 8 and now the first one on this list and this is the only one other than Harvey on this list that I covered but this is one that I covered when I was solely covering the Mets for two years uh, for their website and doing a show on Diamond Vision at Shea called Next Stop Shea at the time and I can tell you that Lastings Millage, who we have at number seven, when he first signed, or at least when he first was called up, and he was staying at, I think it was the Holiday Inn on, on uh, the uh, Grand Central Parkway, right near Shea and City Field now. They used to have, I think it was a Holiday Inn, where they would put the players where they didn't basically have official jobs yet or places to live, right? And his first game that he played, I did the ride to, I was working at MLB.com. I did the ride to the park with him uh, in like from his hotel. Him and his girlfriend, true. Him and his girlfriend did the ride. And I'll never forget, and irony of irony, I ended up working years later with Gary Sheffield. Didn't know Sheff at all at the time. But ironically, one of the questions I had was, because I had seen video of Millage, was why do you do the bat waggle? Which he did, for those who don't remember, Millage did the Gary Sheff. Nobody does that. One of the reasons you don't do yeah. that is because Gary Sheffield, for those who didn't follow, had bat speed like Mookie Betts. Like, but you can't yeah. unless you Mookie Betts could do that if he wanted. You can't do that because you can't get the bat in the zone quick enough if you're doing that in your shoulder. So, if anything, you see guys who try and almost the, the bats coming through the hitting zone on their stance. They're trying to get it so, but not lasting millage. He went bat waggling. I asked him why, and his reasoning was because I thought it was cool. And immediately, I remember <laughs> saying to myself, "This kid has no chance." I immediately remember telling my cameraman, Tom, give him a shout out this time. I remember telling him after we got out of the car, nice kid. I was like, this kid has no chance. Now, I didn't know he would have, and ironic, I worked with Jim Bowden, who was a broadcast partner who ended up trading for him for Ryan Church. And I often joked with Jim, the six years I worked with him, that you know he didn't know at the time, for those who don't remember, Lasting Village ended up having real big eye problems and depth perception issues, where which phased him out of the game. It wasn't even just that he was a bust, but when he left the Mets, when he went to the Nationals and forward, he's still a young kid, his eye issues ended up making, he couldn't catch the ball and couldn't run around the outfield, and then he had no value. But Lasting Village, to me, I will always remember being a kid who, between the high fives and what I knew of him the first time I met him, just immediately, I think between the years was a bigger problem than anything else. He just was a guy who really didn't get it. And I hate saying that, but that's the way I look back at our number seven, Lasting's Millage. Yeah, and I um, I, I don't want to – I'm not going to classify him as, as – he may not have, have gotten it. I just In terms of, in terms of like – in terms of um, he was – he was not going to learn – the way he needed to learn, which is why he rubbed so yeah. many of those veterans the wrong way. And that team yeah. couldn't stand him. And he had no, know your role in the locker and all that. So I was covering the team then. And a lot I, of that came down to, he, he just didn't really have a good sense of doing things. I hate saying this the way like David Wright did when he came in, in which he guarded himself immediately to the Doug McCavich's and the Cliff Floyd's and the Paula Dukas and all those other guys. 
Lasting's Millage immediately kind of separated himself as somebody who was about Lasting's Millage, and he wasn't good enough to do that. He was not. He was not yeah. Ronald Acuna Jr. Let's say. Yeah, it's. I mean, you can you can have your own personality and also like know that you need to you know to learn and and to develop before you can you know have your own. I guess your own style. If I'm if I'm saying that correctly, I think I just yep. rambled. But when I think no. of Lasting's Millage, I think of that of that game, that the high five game in I guess it was June 2006, and I swear he hit the home run off Armando Benitez. I don't I don't know if this is true. Oh, maybe just, like melding moments together because I think Armando Benitez was pitching for the Giants at the time. Anyway, anything about Armando Benitez, you know I'm fine with. So that's okay. <laughs> I knew I, knew I would I knew I would make you happy. There. That's okay. Um, you know I'm fine with that. Go no, ahead. I, yeah, I knew because I think he hit a home run was at the top of the tenth, and and then he comes out and he does it comes out the field does the high fives, and I I think it was was it Billy Wagner was the one who really came out and said like oh there's no yeah. place for that or something like that yeah okay. Billy Wagner was um, no place. yeah <laughs> I, I you know I I don't want to say that 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 totally set him on the ruined him or, or was like basically when you all knew it was all over in the room maybe in thing. the room in the yeah. room maybe. In the room. So I just think about that and how kind of unfair that was to him. That being said, maybe it still would have ended up the way it did. But I just think of that and go, I just feel like he could have been maybe supported a little better. And I'm saying this from afar as opposed to you covering it. But I feel like in that situation, if, if it had been maybe privately, someone someone might have said, even though I don't think that was a problem to high five fans. If that happened today, no one would. I don't think anyone would care. I wouldn't be like, oh my gosh, he's, you know, look at him grow the game. Look at that. Uh, I think back, I'm saying it's like this is ancient times, like 2006, I think there was more, you know, like, oh, you don't do that here. And it's, and, and it's with like, that was team. it that big of a deal? And with that, yeah. and with that team, you know, the problem is, veteran team. He, here's yeah. where, here's where, you know, the what if, I love what ifs in general, they're fun conversations, but here, here's where the what if comes in. If, Last thing's Millage is on the team in 93 and the one in 92 when Ryan Thompson comes, right? Reverse the roles. He's not just playing in 60 games like he did the next year mm -hmm. and getting mm -hmm. only 280 at-bats or whatever it was. But you had Cliffy on this team. You had Beltron on this team. You had a team that was trying to win a World Series. And you were just a guy trying to kind of fit in. By the way, very much like our number one was when he came in in terms of that, right? But they gave him much more run, as you would say, than, mm -hmm. than Lasting Millage got here. But, you know, if there's one thing that, okay, maybe not fair to Millage, in addition to, I'm, I'm with you, you're right. I mean, that look, that shouldn't cancel you out. for That's not that's not enough to be what we call a deal breaker, right? In the relationship yeah. with the team or the fan base. But if he's in Thompson or Alex Ochoa land, right? He getting 500, 600 at bats, Brian, and he could hit 230 with an OBP at 300. Lasting's Millage never was able to play every day because there mm -hmm. wasn't a spot for him every day. And again, I'm not making yeah. an excuse, but I think being fair, and I like how you know it, the list ends up this way with those three outfielders. Millage probably gets at least a much better chance in the other two spots mm -hmm. to show you what he can do than on the team he was on. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I feel like if he was on, if he came up in 1993, he'd have, you know, he'd have the Ryan Thompson rope. <laughs> yeah, which was a long one. Uh, 10, Matt Harvey, 9, Ryan Thompson, Alex Ochoa, 8, 7, Lastings Millage, and then Sean Abner at 6, kind of splitting up our outfielders. And when we go to the mound on the pitching side with what I, I would say probably is collectively the biggest bust phenomenon the Mets have ever had. Why does Abner and where does he fit in the Swiss cheese? Because he's going to get lost in this list by a lot of people who say, wait a minute, Abner, I heard, I heard of that guy. He was a tough, but this is where you were supposed to be based on draft and who you were as a prospect more than stories like we saw play out with Millage and Ryan Thompson on the field. Yeah. And um, to be honest, and, and, you know, maybe by the fact that he didn't ever play a major league game, he never even got to the majors, which, with the which Mets, is not good because, which is, yeah, it's not good, but maybe, I mean, you never know if, like, they had, you know, kept him before he got traded. So he was in the uh, Kevin Mitchell and, and Kevin McReynolds trade. Um, if they had held on to him, and you, know, you never know what happened. But as it turns out with the Padres, he didn't do very much. And I think he played with the Angels and the White Sox and didn't do much either. So, um, 
So to be honest, I, I don't know much about Sean Abner other than the fact that he was the number one overall pick in 1984 and he was in the Kevin Mitchell and Kevin McReynolds trade. Um, which, and and went know, to prison. Now, look, according to Wikipedia, I did not know this, but went to prison for animal cruelty. Which is a whole. Is that yeah, right? My God, that, I didn't even know I, that. I, I, I didn't I'm looking even at know that, that right now. And, I did not yeah, even I know that. Sit, no, I, I, I put a number. I, I put a number one for that alone. But well, well, that's fair. That's a look as a dog lover. I get that, but I didn't even yeah. know that night. Uh, again, now according to Wikipedia, because you know who knows. Uh, Joe West is editing his own Wikipedia, so who knows? Uh, in 2019, he was charged with animal cruelty, leaving his 14 year old husky alone at home for over a month. Jeez. Oh, no. My goodness. Uh, My goodness. Oh, yeah, we should we should put him at his own spot on the list. Uh, but Sean oh. Abner never even getting to play a game. And look, we said this about the Vince Coleman scenario, right? Sometimes it's just mm -hmm. how off the grid and how terrible these stories get that end up making you a bust from what you weren't supposed to be. Doesn't even get to the league. And look, the Mets have had a lot of guys that were, you think about Billy Bean, right? And and how many other busts have, have been as players who never panned out for the Mets. We've also seen those who have shown us flashes and taken it away from us. We did not have enough of that with Millage or Ochoa or Thompson. We did with Matt Harvey. We've got a little at number two-ish and a lot of that flash stuff at number one. But in five, four, and three, the next three spots, which we'll do together, we'll do them individually and together. It's the most hype on this list. And I would say in an era where there was no social media, none, Generation K had more hype than Matt Harvey Jacob deGrom, and Noah Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard might have been Thor, and Matt Harvey was a Dark Knight, and DC Comics and Marvel had movies at the time, and they didn't then. And we didn't have Twitter. There was no Instagram. There was no way to yell at each other except to call someone on the phone or be at the bar. But I remember being at Jones Beach. I remember as a fan, listening on the then old-school boombox with the antenna like this and trying to get your spot because I was not going to miss a pitch that Paul Wilson, Bill Pulsifer, Long Island Duck legend, Bill Pulsifer, and Jason Isringhausen, who was a terrific pitcher as a closer, came back to the Mets late, was great with the Cardinals and the A's, had a great career of the three, right? And certainly avoided the injuries, especially with Paul Wilson with the elbow, Reds and Mets, right? Mm -hmm. But I remember every pitch needing to be there. And that's with no social media. That's with everything by word of mouth and newspapers. That tells you just how big and how hyped they were. And I think, and I'm curious, people get us at Casey Stern at Brian Wright 86. I think if overall, if I were to ask any Met fan, not list, not player, what's the best example? If I say to you, Mets overhype, Mets disappointment, Generation K, the first thing out of every single Met fan's mind, in my opinion, no doubt about it. And they belong in this list. We've got Izzy, then Wilson, then Pulsiver at 5-4-3. Yeah, and and you have your your memory of Generation K. I have mine. I I have two memories. I had a Generation K poster. I'm still trying to find it, like not the physical poster. I'm just trying to find it online because I certainly don't have it. I haven't stored it away in like my my dad's. You know, say, would you keep it with your Dilson like Herrera poster? <laughs> yeah, no. I had it, it hanging in my bedroom. A Generation K poster. Yeah. Wow. I just yeah. So I had that, and I was you know. As a very impressionable kid, I thought it was like, you know, my dad hyping me up too, just as much as, you know, like the magazines and and, and, and newspapers, like going, oh my gosh, you know, this, these three pictures are going to, are going to carry the Mets uh, through the future. And Heroics. I, and, and then, yeah. So on, and on top of that, I was at Jason Isringhausen's first victory in 1995 against Pittsburgh at Shea Stadium. And I remember, like, my dad saying something to the effect of, like, oh, you'll remember where you – he was – I, you know, I he's a guy – he's usually not that impressionable. Usually, you know, we take time before he's he's uh, um, before he's uh, satisfied and, and uh, you know, happy with uh, with a player. But he was, like, trying to tell me, like, oh, this is a memory you'll, you'll know forever. And I guess I do remember it basically because uh, of, of, of now and, and the fact that it, it didn't turn out well. So – Israel Housen, you know, I, I remember he started like 95 
his time at 95 really well. Like he was he, nine and two was in like his the, first season. Yeah. I don't remember the ERA was also good, but I do remember nine and two, which then was a big thing. Cause then we didn't look at things the same. And the fact that his record was nine and two is what you brought up immediately. But that's what I remember. He's nine and two. As a start. And all, and yeah. And all three just had their, their, their injury problems. Although oh, Wilson's it, were, they weren't kind of Wilson's, Wilson's injuries. Were yeah. 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 And, and Isringhausen was the, the one who really, I mean, Wilson pitched, I think he pitched for like Tampa Bay and later, but, but to Reds, me, Isringhausen is the Cincinnati. one that salvages career. Yeah. Right. Cincinnati. Yeah. And, and, but Isringhausen to me salvaged his career in a sense oh, by being saves. an effective reliever. Yeah. yeah over yes. 300 saves. So with Oakland and, and, and St. Louis and, and he came back to the Mets as a reliever in 2011, I think. So, um, yeah, he was the one that I guess you could say made the most of of a bad situation with with the injuries they were they were dealt with. But um, yeah, so like I, I Pulsifer is like the one I was like most excited because probably because he was like left handed. I don't know. He just I don't know why I was most more excited about him. But he was the one who just I don't know what happened, uh, and just that was the big to be the biggest probably the biggest flame out. And then Wilson is we have number three. And the reason I put him number three is because he was the number one overall pick in '94. So um, he was kind of by default and by draft pick the 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 most hyped of, of the three. I would say when you think about um, Omar Minaya, as we get into our next on the list, he does not get enough credit for some of the names that he pulled into this team. And look, there were things that he did not do uh, great. And there were issues that that I had with him, including that when they finally got to the precipice and you realized, hey, we got here with John Main and Oliver Perez. Like, you realize how team how good your team could be if you actually went and got another starter? Like, there were things about his run that will always stick out to me that just weren't good enough, right? Not pushing over the edge. I know the Wilpons were there. And he got a lot right. But when I think of Omar Minaya and the one that he was tied to that he got the most wrong, or seemingly went the most wrong. It's this one at number two with not Kmart, because that was a store people went to. Not J.D. Mart, even though he's on the Dodgers now. Not V-Mart, the great Victor Martinez. But F-Mart. Fernando Martinez, who Omar Minaya was like prognosticating of prognosticating, to use it in Groundhog Day. And every Met fan was jumping on board. And this is at the beginning of when you're right on the edge of social media and everybody knowing more about prospects. And very, very much, look, very much Alvarez like now, right, in the way we talk about him. And I don't remember where Martinez landed in terms of overall prospects, but that's how Met fans, this was the guy, the savior. And I, here's how I remember him. Didn't he play for the Astros for 16 minutes? That's, if you ask me Fernando Martinez, I can't tell you literally anything else about Fernando Martinez. I Yeah, I mean, I people drank the kool-aid when like it was too i remember this even in college because millage was the guy the big prospect when i was in high school and then when i was a kid obviously we talked about generation k but when i was in college fernando martinez fernando martinez oh my gosh he's gonna he's gonna be amazing 2007 i think was when that really started um and that was kind of just that hype machine was really cranked up and i you know I, and like I said, I don't know where he was ranked, but he, to me, is the equivalent. I'm not saying they're going to turn out the same way, but he is the 2007-2008 equivalent of what Francisco Alvarez is now, yep. um, where it was just like, oh, my goodness, this guy, th th this is the real thing. And, you know, that was a I, – I don't want to say it was a great PR job, but but we were all sold on – we were all sold on that. And then when he – I don't remember about any injuries that happened to him. I'm sure there were. There's just a buzz. He was just a bust. Yeah. I mean, maybe he was, I don't, cause I just don't, I'm looking at Wikipedia. He was named the Mets number one prospect for 2007 and 2008. And, and then it, it does say that he had some since on a disabled list, nothing like serious, nothing maybe serious, but I, I um, no, I, I don't think, I think it just was a mess. And the irony is, and I've always remembered this about Fernando Martinez and thought of it this way, because I'm going to bring back and wrote back in JD. For those who don't remember, Dean Martinez, when he came up Astros, right? And I think he was there around the same time as F-Mart, actually, about 2011-ish. J.D. Martinez was so bad, he got released. He got time with the Astros. He, he was a top prospect, got released. 
I remember asking, asking Dave Brownski when he was with the Tigers about, you know, just waxing Ponek about how brilliant a move it was to pick him up. And he said to me on the air at the time of SiriusXM, he said that it was lucky they had no idea. They just took a shot on J.D. Martinez. For those who don't remember, J.D. Martinez is one of the first ones who went and totally retooled his swing. The Justin Turner, Marlon Bird scenario, the Chris Taylor after he was on the Mariners. We see this a lot now, but it was not a thing then because high top prospects never really went back. They always were too egotistical to go and this is how I hit is how everybody used to say. He totally retooled his swing. But I always remember about the fascinating part of J.D. Mart and F. Mart is that Fernando Martinez never had that with anyone else either. It wasn't like with the Mets he left. And then suddenly somebody found something, just disappeared. And that was it. Mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I guess that's the one silver lining. Is Yeah, I guess that's the one silver lining is that it was like, not like he found it somewhere else. It's not like, it'd be no. like a Justin Turner who struggled with, oh. you know, was okay with the Mets and then found it with the Dodgers. Yeah, thank you, Marlon Bird, for that. Uh, hey, you want to come meet with my hitting instructor? And then all of a sudden it becomes amazing. Uh, number 10, prospect bus, Matt Harvey. Number nine, Ryan Thompson. Number eight, the five-tooler, Alex Ochoa. Number seven, he of the high fives, uh, Lance Dings Millers. Number six, um, whew, I mean, it, it, the dog of the list, I will say. Uh, now, Sean Abner, number five, Izzy Pulse, of course, at four, three, Paul Wilson. They together are not the Pointer Sisters, but Generation K. Number two, Fernando Martinez. And then number one, when we said, what list should we do next? And we said bus and prospect, you know, mishaps and overhyped players. The first thing I said was Craig Jeffries. We could have called this the Greg Jeffries list. Greg Jeffries, to me, was... And this was at a time where in my childhood, I was first really getting into baseball. This was the example of, in my youth as a kid, a top prospect failing. In any team I rooted for, this was the the closest I came to it. Because I remember being a hockey fan as a kid and Pat LaFontaine was like the thing for the Islanders. He ended up having a very good career, Hall of Famer eventually. Um, There were like Patrick Ewing got drafted for the Knicks and look at that panned out pretty well. Greg Jeffries was coming on board to a team that was full of savages, to use the Aaron Boone line. And he was still getting playing time because that's how good people thought he would be. And I know this sounds weird, but the thing that always stands out to me, Brian, and you could go back and look pictures now at the early Greg Jeffries. I remember feeling like he's like me because I thought Greg Jeffries looked like he was 10. Like he had such a boyish smile and was so like, happy like like the jose reyes kind of thing that he had when he came like smiling ear to ear so excited to play and among all these stars yet net like had the the stance had the way you want to look i mean everything in single you don't give single digits to guys who can't play right i mean everything you could ever want and he getting playing time with these guys on the late 80s teams and he would eventually show a lot of that somewhere else in philadelphia but Greg Jeffries, to me, the ultimate example and belongs number one on the list, I think, in Mets all time in their lore and their history. He is the greatest example of overhyping in a prospect that did not pan out because he looked like Roy Hobbs when he first came up as a Met. Yeah, I am totally with you. And I, when I think of, of this kind of prospect bust, I mean, he is like the poster child. He's the template in Mets history, especially for, for that. Um, he was named minor league player of the year two years in a row 87 and 88 and also you know he was put on a pedestal by by davy johnson by mets management as you know as this 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 you know second coming kind of thing um so that re- and when he came up in, in really for good in in late 88 i mean like you said they were battling for a division battling for a world series that was a, obviously a veteran team a great team 86 champions going for a second in three years and when you bring this young guy who looks 10 is going to take the job of Wally Backman at second base, who was beloved by fans, beloved by teammates um, that probably that didn't, you know, sit well with, with those veterans. And that raised the pressure um, on, on, on a guy who was already propped up. So, you know, and in 98, the rest of 88, he was fantastic. And that, I don't know whether that <laughs> helped him or hurt him, but um, it certainly, added to the already lofty expectations because then he then he went on to the postseason roster um and it and it just never got any better um it really just went all downhill he was a combination of 
a lot of the people we have talked about. I mean, he, you know, the whole being on a veteran team, like the situation with, with Lasting's Village um, and kind of not really getting along with those veteran teammates. Uh, being unable to handle New York as, you know, maybe like like a Matt Harvey was, was because uh, you know, at, at times the pressure really got to him. I remember, what was it, 91, he wrote that open letter that was run on WFAN uh, talking about how, talking about the pressure and, and how he's being treated. Um, so uh, it that's really when everything came to a head. And as you pointed out, he eventually, it worked out yeah, in a it's, sense. It's St. Louis, an all-star. I mean, St. Louis, he was an yeah. all-star, I think, twice. I think he was an all-star starter in 94. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in Philadelphia, he was he was a decent player. So I think that that just goes to show. I mean, maybe that that's also what puts him over the top is that he just didn't work out in New York and it kind of worked out somewhere else. So it just needed to, it's the old change of environment that, that really helped him. And it makes it seem worse because you don't have like an F mark. Where'd he go? Nobody else. Because uh, 1993 for the Cardinals, he had 342 with an OBP of 408 in 612 plate appearances. And then in 1994, as you mentioned, starts an all-star game. And uh, he was an all-star in both years. He started the game in 94. That year, mm-hmm. he hit 325 with a 390 OBP. Um, and, you know, it's, it's look, hit 306 the following year. I mean, he had some good years over his, uh, look, a 14-year career. If you think about kind of the, the average season, that you know, if you kind of you do it that way, 14 homers, 73 ribs, 289, 344, and a 421, about a 770. Look, he ended up having a pretty decent career. It just wasn't with the Mets where he was supposed to be the second coming. I mean, everything you any, ever thought of, you're a Yankee fan of Kevin Moss or Shane Spencer. You take that times, I don't even know what, to uh, Greg Jeffries, who uh, I want to call Craig just because I don't want to remember Greg. Uh, we remember this. You can always jump on board, give us your list. What did you think about a top 10? Get us on the Unfiltered Revolution at Casey Stern at Brian Wright 86. Let us know your thoughts. Thank you to all of you. Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts. Those of you on uh, Twitter and YouTube as well. Uh, Brian, we'll do this again soon. Hopefully, uh, now we, we've been up, we've been down. Next time, we're going to do something happier next time, right? Yes. It, we're going to talk about yes. We're going to talk about Pakoda saying the Mets are going to win 97 games. Pakoda, who every year, I'm like, how the hell did they know anything? Then when I saw they said the Mets would win 97, I said, Pakoda, such smart people. Uh, you smart people. They know people. what they're talking about. Oh, of course they do. On board with us right here at uh, the Unfiltered Revolution. Unfiltered, as always, brought to you by Ben Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.